Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, December 12, 2017. Oh, Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> and the weather here is just going to be perfect for that. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward. In fact, nowadays it's like they're putting themselves forward. Those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books uh, apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying Instead of the Word of God? Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine. Yeah, that's teaching that is being put out there is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. It's like not even close. And uh, it's, so we're, we're doing a teaching work here and a training work, and we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. All right, so uh, with the Christmas holiday, uh, you know, literally upon us, it'll be here in just a matter of days. The, you know, <laughs> the stuff I'm hearing, I'm just saying, the stuff I'm hearing as far as things that are passing for sermons, ay ay ay, it's it's a mess. Now we covered yesterday the whole idea about. You need to learn how to be God in human flesh. Yeah, yeah that's a mess, and uh, we're not even going to touch something like that today. But uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And let me just put it this way. Uh, every episode of Fighting for the Faith, unless specified, has a theme. This is one of those days where the majority of the segments have a theme, uh, but there may be one or two outliers, two it, depending on how I kind of skin the cat when it comes to handling the segment. So you know, it's there, there's a diff, there's a couple ways I can take this one segment and emphasize, but we'll we'll see what happens. So technically, today's episode is not going to have a theme, 
and I'm going to do things a little bit out of order. And uh, normally, as the program unfolds, we kind of start with the simple and work our way up to the more complex. And so uh, the hapless usually goes first here at Fighting for the Faith, and uh, and then we kind of ramp it up in intensity, discernment level, skills needed go up, and things like that. And then our sermon reviews are kind of like a a working laboratory. Today, because we don't have a theme, I'm gonna I'm gonna break one of my normal rules. It's not a hard and fast rule, and we're gonna start with a, a slightly more complex segment. And then we're going to work our, you know, then we're going to drop it down a notch and do something simple. And uh, you'll, you'll kind of get the idea. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to head over to, uh, Sid Roth's It's Supernatural and listen to two of his guests as they talk about prophetic symbolism. Now that's a weird way of talking about it because you're going to see that what these fellows are describing and discussing is not prophetic symbolism. Their claim is is that God is constantly talking to you in all kinds of ways. All kinds of ways, you know. He's in the rocks, he's in the trees, he's in, you know. And uh, but what they're really describing is none other than uh, the reading of omens. That's exactly what they're going to be describing. We'll tear apart their theology and uh, and the things that they're claiming on this Sid Roth segment. And then we're going to back it up. We're going to head back to the YouTube channel of uh, Reina4321. And uh, she's going to uncode prophetic messages in the headlines uh, from this week, uh, including the uh, the terror attack in uh, New York City. So uh, we'll we'll take a look at what she does and how it's related then to the segment, uh, the Sid Roth segment that we did. Uh, then we will be hearing from Mike Murdoch. Mike Murdoch will do a money grubbing televangelist update, and we're going to listen to him literally teaching for shameful gain things that he ought not to teach. This is a guy who is making promises for God that God has not made, and his real emphasis is on the sowing of seeds, and in other words, sending money to him, and uh, for the purpose of you, uh, well, receiving something specific from God. So these are targeted seed offerings. And we'll hear some of his, uh, I mean, just really worldly theology along the way. And then to end our number one, we're going to be heading over to the Jim Baker program. And uh, if you remember, we uh, we covered Sadhu Sandar Selvaraha on a, a, you know on a recent installment of Fighting for the Faith. And he has been on recently on the Jim Baker show. And so we're going to listen to Sandhu explain to us how uh, God has told him that Russia is going to invade the United States of America. So apparently you may not want to just only buy big, large buckets of macaroni and cheese and constipation-causing foods from (laughs) Jim Baker, but you may also want to load up on some ammo, you know, some good AR-15s, maybe (laughs) some Springfield rifles, uh, you know, if you have an old M1 Garand, things like that, these are probably important things uh, for you to be stocking up on right now, since apparently Russia will be invading the United States. <laughs> I just wish I wasn't making that up. 
Um, of course, the people on the Jim Baker show. Oh, no, Russia's going to be invading. We better start buying stuff from Jim Baker. Yeah, that's usually how they uh, respond. And then in hour number two, we're going to head to Narrate Church in Helena, Montana. And he's doing a Christmas sermon series <laughs> on Mary. Yeah, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. And um, this particular Christmas message is all about unmet expectations. You know, you expected one thing and it didn't turn out that way. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground to cover. So let's do this. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. We're heading over to Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. We're going to be listening as he interviews two guests today. They are Adam Thompson and Adrian Beale. And uh, this is all about how all of us can hear the voice of God. And as the interview opens for the segment that we'll be covering, Sid Roth will be having a, a conversation with Adam Thompson and basically make the claim that Adam Thompson is a prophet. Now, it's important to note, you do not have to be a cessationist in order to correctly spot that Adam Thompson is not a true prophet, that he is a false prophet. How do you know, real quick, is that he is teaching false doctrine, the clear indicator that he is a false prophet. So we can rule out, after we take a look at how he totally fails uh, in his theology to line up with Scripture, we could totally rule out that he's hearing from God or that God's angels are the ones speaking to him. He may be hearing from angels, but they are fallen angels. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So get a Bible ready. You'll need it for this segment. Uh, Here is Sid Roth and uh, his conversation with Adam Thompson and Adrian Beale. Here we go. I asked you at dinner last night about how you know these things, and you told me there's an angel that accompanies you, and sometimes he he, he be, like leans on your shoulder. Explain That's that, right. and what does that mean? When I'm ministering uh, at the pulpit, uh, it can even happen when I'm having dinner as well, uh, an angel leans on me, and uh, and... What happens is that he leans on me and I can get pictures and images, moving pictures sometimes. I could spell out details about someone's life, about their condition, their sickness, uh, even their child, perhaps even the child's name and their condition. And what happens is the faith just crashes into the meeting and pretty much God releases the miraculous. Now, you're going to note, this sounds a lot like Mark Driscoll's claims 
Uh, if you were to look up Mark Driscoll pornographic visions, uh, Mark Driscoll years ago, uh, when <laughs> Mars Hill was still a thing, he literally claimed that uh, he received visions from God with really kind of racy and explicit details regarding the sins that people had committed, whom he was talking with or things like that. And so what's interesting to me is that Adam Thompson's claim is very similar to Mark Driscoll's. Now, we're going to, like I said, we're going to immediately begin to rule out that uh, Adam Thompson is hearing directly from God or one of his angels because of his false doctrine. But uh, let's let him continue to spin this out, and we'll do some biblical testing so that you can see. Tell me about that. So that's you. That's good. You're yeah. a prophet. You're the Bible says there's fivefold ministers, and and you are a prophet. But what about me? What about you? Yeah. So what about us? You know, because he, you know, apparently Adam Thompson is a prophet. You know, of the caliber of Elijah or Elisha. You know, I don't think so. Uh, can just average people oh. know our destiny, know our purpose, our fun? Yeah, so apparently you need to hear directly from God in order to find out your destiny or purpose. Uh huh. This doctrine, this des- dream destiny thingy or purpose doctrine, is one of the heart and soul doctrines of evangelicalism in the charismatic movement today, and is oftentimes the the, the gateway drug. You know, to get you to believe that you need to receive direct revelation from God. But again, God has not created in Christ, created us in Christ Jesus for a purpose or a destiny. Ephesians 2.10 makes it clear that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And when you cross-reference it then with the Second Timothy chapter 3, you learn that it's the Word of God, the, the written Word of God, that equips us for every good work. Uh-huh. In our calling, uh, what we're supposed to do. I, I believe everybody can have it if you're hungry enough. Okay, so that is that right there. That statement made by Adam Thompson 100% proves he is a false, false prophet. Absolutely false. So everybody can be a prophet if they are, quote-unquote, hungry enough. Yes, of course, the question is, uh, how hungry do I need to be? Answer, enough. Well, what's enough? Well, I don't know. Nobody knows what enough is. But you're going to note then it's up to you to have the proper amount of hunger uh, in order to receive the, the gift of prophecy. But Scripture rules this out explicitly. Two places in particular. We're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 4, says this, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, the same God who empowers uh, them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to uh, another according to the same Spirit, um, uh, faith by the same Spirit, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized, 
baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And that's the point that Paul is making there in 1 Corinthians, that the gifts of the Spirit are varied, and they are varied by necessity. So in other words, not everybody can receive or not everybody will receive the gift of prophecy. In fact, he goes on to explicitly rule out that idea. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. And then he asks asks a series of questions, and in the Greek there is an untranslated particle, and that particle is the word may. And that word, when used in a question like this, means that the question must be answered in the negative. So he asks the question, are all apostles? You can say no. They are not. Are all prophets? No. Uh huh. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. That's right. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Absolutely not. And so what he just said about everybody can have it if they are hungry enough, totally ruled out by, by Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 of all places. But the second part of this is that he's teaching a works-based receiving of the gifts of God. Works-based. You have to be hungry enough. It's up to you. You must fulfill the good work of being hungry enough to be able to prophesy. Uh, Galatians 3 rules this out. Galatians 3, 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's the second, by the way. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So I'm sorry, but uh, Adam Thompson falls short on two counts. He is explicitly contradicting the clear teaching of the Word of God while claiming to hear directly from God. No way. He's a false prophet straight up. We can all be prophetic and hear from God. But for me, you know, I it, God didn't just wave a wand and I had this. I had to carve it out. Uh, there's one thing to have the grace of God over your life, and that's free. But to fulfill the destiny can come with a price, and you've got to, you just got to be hungry. Oh yeah, so yeah, salvation's free, but to fulfill the destiny, yeah, that that you've got to pay that price. Uh huh. No text says that. Passionate to to fulfill the destiny of God, and you, if you ask, you receive. Adrian, you have opened up my world, and I want you to open the world of those that are watching. Tell me some of the ways God speaks to us and he doesn't just speak to us he's speaking to us all the time and once the light bulb goes on you're going to know 
Tell me some of the ways. Yeah, before I tell you some of the ways, Sid, I believe that we're all prophetic. We may not all be fivefold like Adam, but we all have a prophetic edge. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to enter the kingdom because it's through... Re- uh, it, it, scripture just says in 1 Corinthians 12 that not all are prophets. And where in the Bible does it say we all have a prophetic edge? No text says it. This guy is a false teacher that we enter the kingdom but God speaks to us every day through numbers and sometimes those numbers may repeat themselves through names that we may see on a sign on a bus or a truck it's through a song that might bubble up within us or through now by the way folks this is called the reading of omens and scripture explicitly forbids this he is not describing a way in which God speaks to us. He is describing a way in which God, who has already spoken to us in his written word, forbids us to look for God's voice in this way. It is called the reading of omens. And here are just a couple of texts that clearly, explicitly rule this out as something that we can be doing. For instance, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12 says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Yeah, clear text there. Um, And then Leviticus 19.31. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. And so mediums and necromancers all do the same thing. They are people who read omens. This is in the realm of astrology, the new age, and fortune telling. This is not where we are to go to hear the voice of God. Now, let me give you another passage that I think will be helpful in this regard. We've already referenced 2 Timothy chapter 3, but I think it's worth reading out at this point. The Apostle Paul, writing to young Pastor Timothy, says this, um, as for you, young Pastor Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And the uh, the word for writing there is uh, uh, grammata, gramma. You know, this is the written word, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture, and the word there for scripture is graphe, again, writing is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness in order that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Apostle Peter, as he was finishing up his course before he died, uh, he was uh, put to death by uh, Roman crucifixion, and he was crucified upside down, and uh, he himself as he's finishing his course, is encouraging the the Christians to pay attention to the written word of God and even juxtaposes uh, the, uh, the experience that he had uh, when he saw Jesus in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. You can find this in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16, which says, "...for we did not follow cleverly devised myths." 
when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You see, it's God's word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's what the psalmist says. Until the day dawns and the morning star rising in your heart rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So all Scripture is God-breathed. You want to hear God's voice, read your Bible. You want to hear God's voice out loud, read your Bible out loud. What uh, Adam Thompson and Adrian Beale are talking about is something that God's Word explicitly forbids. Somehow looking for the voice of God in all of these different signs and events that are taking place out in the natural world. That's the reading of omens, and God's word forbids that. We continue. Or through a line that's coming as someone speaking the news out. You know, there's so many ways. It might be a movie title, or it might be a photograph in front of you, or a magazine that you're reading. An article might jump out at you. There's so many ways that God can speak. It may be a plant in your garden, or a bird that comes and lands on that tree. But it- and what is God saying when a, when a bird lands on a plant in your garden? <laughs> Answer, nothing. Wait till you hear the big sign that they, oh, man, God is speaking. Wait till you hear it. Something that's unusual. And you go, well, that was unusual. It got my attention. What could God be speaking in that but, situation? But most of us, it's like we're on AM, and the sign God's given us is on FM. And we, we just, I think that if we're just aware of this, uh, it's going to make a profound difference. I believe that's- How is it going to make a profound difference? So you have God, you literally are making the claim that God is attempting to communicate to us, but it's up to us to make sure that we are capable of hearing God's communication. That doesn't make any sense. God is almighty and all-powerful, and you're claiming that God can speak and we won't hear it? Are you out of your mind? I believe that is true. This is... So unusual. All right, so here's an example of apparently God speaking right now in a, in a natural phenomenon. See if, see if you can figure out what God is saying. By the way, this, this again is the reading of omens. Attract your attention. Tell me about in on the Russian beaches, there were thousands of giant snowballs. Uh, some of them, I mean, they went from the size of a tennis ball to... Yeah. This is a natural phenomenon that can be explained by cold weather, tides and currents and things like that. Yeah, I saw the videos uh, on, of all places, the Weather Channel when it first occurred. Three feet in diameter, it covered 11 miles of beach. Now, when you that, that, there you go. That's another. This never happened there before. I guess that's one way God can get our attention when we see. Yeah, what do you think God was saying by the large snowballs? <laughs> Winter's coming? Yeah, I could, I could figure that out by looking at my calendar. 
Something that's never happened. Exactly. Before. And that's what drew my attention, Sid. As soon as I saw that, that's, well, I mean, that is so unusual. That has got to be the voice of God. And particularly... No, it doesn't. Just because it's unusual doesn't mean it's the voice of God. What did God say by the 11 miles of snowballs on the beaches in Russia? Time when it took place. It was the day after the United States presidential election. And so we understand from Scripture, Adam and I, that a ball is a... So because it happened the day after the United States presidential election, God making snowballs occur on the beaches of Russia is him communicating something? What did he say exactly? Projectile. And as a projectile, something that you can throw mm-hmm. and something you can catch, it's a picture of words. And a snowball can be called word, words. And so a beach... A, a snowball can be called words. I don't know anybody who refers to snowballs as words. Interface. We believe that God is speaking through this incident and saying, you know, it's, we need to pray. It's a warning that cold words don't take place or... or Crossover between America and Russia. <laughs> yeah, you, you just heard it for yourself. That was an example, clear, unambiguous example of reading omens, which Deuteronomy 18 explicitly forbids. God was not speaking in the great 11 mile snowball incident. The day after the presidential election that occurred in Russia. Wow, what a mess. I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to be hearing from Raina4321, Mike Murdoch, and hopefully uh, Sandu Sundar Savaraha. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, 
through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life. Which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now, here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I cause you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? 
the little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that looking for signs out there where God's supposedly talking is uh, the reading of omens and is forbidden by God's word. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office. Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's reset the table, do another Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, but let's do this. So I was having this wedding, and, and we had, we, well, we didn't have, we had Shabbat. Yeah, that's right. That's Heidi Baker and Shubba. So we're going to head over to the YouTube channel of Raina4321. And the name of this particular video is titled, Uncoding Prophetic Messages in Today's Headlines. That's the name of the video. And you're going to note that uh, Raina4321, the reason she's putting these videos out is so that people can hear what God is saying through all of these things. She's decoded it. Uh-huh. And this is just Looney Tunes, straight-up Looney Tunes stuff. In fact, her, even her dog makes an appearance. But all of this is omen reading. It is a form of fortune-telling and divination, and God's word forbids it. Well, listen in. Here we go. I mean, I'm just blown away by God. Y'all remember how I told y'all we would probably go to Subway and eat lunch? Yeah. Or at least I took my son to eat lunch because he loves Subway. Yeah, so you went to Subway to eat lunch. Okay. Um, I didn't eat. I was hyped up on coffee and hanging out with y'all. So had a caffeine buzz. Okay, got it. Yesterday and all the cool things that happened that God did, all the redemption and beautiful, miraculous stories that come out of these crazy things that the enemy... Miraculous stories out of your trip to subway okay it's doing um so we did we went to subway yesterday for lunch and if you haven't seen yesterday's video i'll post it at the end um about the attack um in a subway in uh new york Right. Yeah, I saw that in the headline. And also just like all the confirmations and the crazy ways God was highlighting Subway. And so God was highlighting Subway because you went there to for lunch. 
I, I think the next time you go out for lunch, you should probably alert uh, the uh, the Homeland Security folks. You know, I mean, because, you know, anything can happen. Still doing it today. He was highlighting it yesterday and still doing it today. So we go to Subway and the lady in front of us all of a sudden starts talking about how she's about to go on a trip to Cuba. Yeah. And she's going to go scuba diving. Um, she starts talking about how she's so excited she's going to film um, her scuba diving time with saltwater alligators. Um, what? And she tells us that she's a no, no, no. That she's a no. See, her dog has made an appearance now. How many, how many times does she snap her fingers? Maybe God's trying to speak through the number of times she snapped her fingers at her dog, you know? He's a he's a good guard dog. Um, she starts telling us about how she's going to scuba dive with saltwater alligators. Yeah. And how she's going to film it. And then get this. Okay. She's she's actually a scuba diving teacher too. But get this, y'all. This is crazy. all right. I, I'm wait. I'm I'm sitting here. I'm I'm like you know pins and needles. Crazy. They are going scuba diving in Fidel Castro's own private scuba diving hole. That's yeah. But are there snowballs there? I mean. It has to be super unusual, you know. So we need snowballs in Fidel Castro's scuba diving hole. Never been open to the public. It is going to be open to the public for the first time Mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, I almost busted my phone out and went live right there in Subway, and I should have. Right, yeah. So you, you almost went live at Subway because, I mean, wow, God was totally... Speaking, yeah. What exactly was God saying again? But I think she was kind of like, oh, no, it's okay. (laughs) So here we are. This is what the Lord is saying. That story, that, that, what the devil meant for harm yesterday in attacking uh, the subway area in New York, so much good is going to come out of it. And wait. Mm, I can't wait. Yeah. Here another story I'm going to share about that. These follow-up stories, they just blow my mind, y'all. Y'all, yeah. The secret place. So now here comes the direct revelation of the Lord. The prophetic significance of the subway attack thingy combined with the Fidel Castro scuba diving bit on what it is that God is saying. Is a place we go in Christ And as a result, we find divine friendships, divine places, and divine doors opening up to us that have never been opened up before. I mean, what are the odds that Fidel Castro, okay, he's apparently, I don't even know if he's still... He's dead. That's something I meant to look up. What are the odds that his private... Diving place. Yeah. Let me tell y'all. The devil thinks that he owns certain places in your life and certain areas in this world. But the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Satan doesn't own. Yeah. So, yeah. So there, you know, Satan does not own the Fidel Castro's scuba diving hole. 
anything. As a matter of fact, when you're in Christ, everywhere you place your foot, God gives you that place. What? <laughs> what? I'm telling you right now, land's about to open up. Businesses are about to open up. Divine friendships, dreams, dream jobs, whatever it is the Lord's placed on your heart. The devil is moving out of those positions. These strongholds from... Uh, all because you had lunch at Subway yesterday and met a scuba diver who's going to Cuba. <sighs> I, mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this is Looney Tunes. And you're going to note that the quality of her prophecies, you you can't even call them that. I mean, it is up there with fortune tellers and just absolute abject nonsense. Yeah, this is the reading of omens. All right, moving along. Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. Let's do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. Money, 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 money. Nothing like a newly minted money, 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 money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, 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 round. Keep your mouth ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. Yeah. All right. So uh, we are going to be heading over to the uh, YouTube channel for Mike Murdoch, who apparently has decided that uh, he's just going to let his hair go totally gray, uh, has decided not to go with his standard um, coloration that he gives his goatee and his uh, shock of hair on his head. And uh, I don't know if he's doing this for the holidays, thinking he's going to play Santa or whatever, but man, he is looking pretty old. But listen to this because this is a quintessential example of teaching for shameful gain the things that you ought not to teach. Mike Murdoch is not a man who preaches God's word, rightly handles it, law and gospel. He does not proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins and call people to repent and to be forgiven because Christ has bled and died for them. Nope. He's all about you showing God that you have enough faith and sending in seed offerings that are by faith targeted for particular things that you want in life. And boy, this is just some crazy nonsense. Here we go. I could say many things. Yeah. Somebody's girl who was healed, the doctors had given up, was one of his investors in his ministry. You know, wherever you create pleasure, you create your prosperity. I want to talk. Wherever you create pleasure, you create prosperity. Yeah, I don't know any biblical text that says anything even remotely approaching that. Poverty is stupid. It's unnecessary. It's re- Right, yeah. So if you're in poverty, it's stupid. Wow. It's unnecessary. It's ridiculous. But you've got to understand who you're listening to. Right. Right now I'm listening to the voice of the devil through Mike Murdoch. 
somebody is advising you and you're following somebody's advice. Everybody, all of us are following somebody's advice. So I asked him what the greatest secret of his ministry was because I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. Never. He said, the greatest secret of my ministry is sowing. He said, nobody's ever asked me that. He said, I don't think, Brother Mike, anybody's ever asked me that. Can you believe that? Be around genius and not start asking questions? Lord. Lord, there's gold mines right there. There's gold mines. There's There's gold mines. Now, note here. uh, Note the manipulation that is taking place. Not only is he telling tall tales and, you know, claiming to have, well, inside tracks regarding secret information on how to get past the stupidity of poverty, you know, and by talking about whoever this person is who, who has this amazing, powerful influence and great results in his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this is hearsay and none of this is actually taken from a biblical text. And all the while, while he's telling this story, he's drawing these people in and beginning to plant in their minds the need for them to write Mike Murdoch a check today. And all, all while this is going on, you can hear the sappy music playing in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything that is going on is designed to manipulate, play on the emotions and the ignorance of the people there in the audience. The ultimate goal is for Mike Murdoch to leave there with a big payday because he is literally in slavery to the sin of greed. His God is money. Oh, my If you decide not to ask questions through life, you can just bank on a real low-key, low-level, barely livable life. Believe me. And very few people ask questions. Very few. That's how you know a genius, by the questions he asks. That's how you know the stupid. They don't ask questions. He said, the secret of my ministry, the number one, how I've built all this. Huge dormitories. Thousands of people all over the world because of his ministry he said sowing my seed right see all of that is because he sowed his seed wild oats that will have him burning in hell but okay yeah for a desired result oh that's right so are you sowing your seeds for a desired result and very shortly after this, you're going to hear a specific amount of money that uh, Mike Murdoch would like everybody there to sow a seed for a specific desired result, uh-huh. which turns God into a genie. Being my seed on assignment, focusing my seed. Yeah, that's right. You have to have focused seeds, yes. Focusing my seed. Focusing my seed. No biblical text teaches you to do this or says that you can't even do such a thing. For a desired outcome. Harvest. Right, yeah. That's the purpose of the seed. Purpose of the seed is for you to have a desired outcome. Right, yeah. The purpose of the seed is to create an experience. Right. You, you, the reason why you sow seeds is so you can have experiences. Uh-huh. 
a harvest. Yeah, the only one who's going to be harvesting is Mike Murdoch. Lots and lots of money. I sent a little tape to my mother many years ago. And I said, Mother, I'm experiencing on the $58 seed supernatural miracles. Right. You, so you, he's so <laughs> so under iniquity and sold to sin and a slave to greed that uh, he even wants to take 58 bucks from his mom. I, I I don't know how else to interpret that. There's 58 kinds of blessings in the Bible. And mom, I'm seeing miracles like I've never seen before. I wish you and daddy would sow a $58 seed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I'm going to name this segment. Mike Murdoch steals money from his own mother. Yeah, it, he literally is doing that. Wow. She called me and said, baby, I, I felt God on that tape you sent me and daddy. You you felt God, really? What did he feel like? I said, mama, it's producing miracles. And every time I write a $58 seat, I put in the left-handed corner what I want to happen, what I want to say, what I want to experience. Right. So, I mean, are you targeting and specifying your seeds so that they uh, can help you to experience the thing that you want, that you desire to experience? Yeah, this is just, I mean, seriously, stealing money from your mother. Mike Murdoch steals money from his mom. Wow. Unbelievable. Moving along. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to 30 Eagles tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon, very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon, doom and gloom, very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon, doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. All right, so uh, that's William Tapley, 30 Gill of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times. And uh, that means we're going to be doing uh, an end of the world, the end of the United States. Oh, you better buy and food buckets and and stock up on ammo and stuff. It's it's the end of the world. <sighs> yeah, it's just unbelievable that people like Jim Baker exist. So we're heading over to the Jim Baker show as Sadhu uh, Sundar Savaraha explains to us that uh, that an angel revealed to him that uh the that the Russia is going to invade the United States. Yep, here we go. You said somewhere that you were handed a note from an angel. Do you remember that? Yes. Can I ask you about that? So angels they pass notes now. Did not know that. Uh, a few years ago there's this radio uh, ministry called True News. They wanted to interview me. Yes. So they called me and did a telephonic interview when I was in Lancaster. Yes. So while the interview was going on, and uh, the host, Rick, 
He was sharing something. As she was sharing, an angel walked up towards me and he handed me a note. And I saw on the note, just four words, Russia will invade the U.S. That's all. Russia will invade the United States. Mm-hmm. Why, how, when, I don't know. So he never, he never heard no. anymore about no. that. Mm-hmm. So when I shared that on the radio, Rick was shocked. And he said he had received the same revelation some many years ago. This was way before, maybe 20 years ago. All right, so Russia is going to be invading the United States. You, you better buy at least seven years' worth of food from Jim Baker. And some ammo. You're, you're going to need to defend yourself. was fasting and praying one morning, and I saw a vision. Huge missiles were dropping all over the U.S. And I saw myself running here and there to avoid the missile drop on me. And I heard myself shout at the top my, of my voice, Who dares to destroy the U.S.? And then the answer comes, Accept the Lord God when he permits it. Mm. So if any such thing, whether it's not... So they're going to invade right after they nuke us. Which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, isn't the whole purpose of nuking the United States to make it so you don't have to invade... I mean, we're pretty much all gone after that. I mean, what's there to invade? And plus, you know, you think about the nuclear fallout and then, you know, how long a particular city will be radioactive moving forward as a result of the, the nuclear attack. I mean, why would they even send troops? Korea or the U.S. Or, or Iran or anybody, if they ever were going to drop nuclear missiles in the U.S., it's because... God has removed his safety net from the nation. What happens? Do you think North Korea is going to attack us? Do you feel, again, can we, we can stop it, but yet God can stop it? But it's on everybody's mind. They're building bigger and bigger bombs. They can now hit the United States and all four corners of our country. Mm-hmm. Is God speaking anything about North you know, Korea? A few years before... So uh, what is God telling us? Is, is God saying anything to you, Sadhu, regarding North Korea? Please tell us. North Korea developed nuclear bombs and they were testing all their missiles. I was in my TV studio one day and we were taping programs for our normal week, you know. So we don't have a live audience like this. It's just me looking at the camera. And as I was preaching, I saw an angel come and stand before the camera. And he said, now see what is shown to you. And as soon as he said that, I saw North Korea. And, uh, and there was... So it just so happens that an angel appeared to him right before a television um studio taping and uh and it just so happens the angel wanted to tell him something about north korea okay a tail come came out of north korea like the tail of a serpent and it swinged around like how a missile would fly 
and the tail of the dragon was hurling missiles out of north korea and then the word of the lord came unto me north korea will develop missiles aided by china uh, so the chinese are going to aid north korea in nuking the united states along with russia russia is going to participate as well you 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 better buy at least 12 years worth of food from jim baker for this this is one news that doesn't come out you know mm-hmm. we are only looking at north korea and we do not know who is the invisible force behind north korea who's helping them financing them with all military know-how china is a great superpower yes and north korea is growing so where did they get all this technology about nuclear weapons north korea is growing either from russia or from china mm-hmm. and china is her immediate neighbor and her greatest supporter because both are all communism and that's when the lord revealed to me that north korea will develop nuclear weapons and missiles and call them to different places on the world and then a few years later we see them developing and testing as what it is today they're going to spread nuclear weapons worldwide is that what you're saying that's what North they Korea. claim they want to do they even boast the president kim yeah notice uh, jim baker was wanting to know if god had told him certain things and he just referenced his reference the news yeah he boasts that their missiles can target the us so if they can target the us and if it ever reaches it's because god has allowed it and unless and until god allowed it no one can even touch the shadow of the united states right so yeah so no one can even touch our shadow Yeah, so there you go. Russia, North Korea, and China. They'll double up together. Uh, you better buy 20 years worth, maybe 50. 50 years worth of food from uh, Jim Baker. I know that that's an extremely expensive thing. Probably you should get a second or third mortgage in order to afford it. I, I, we're, we're, we're doomed. We're, that's all there is to it. We're totally doomed. So. <sighs> yeah, you're you're going to note that uh, listening to these false prophets... it always ends up costing you a lot of money. Yep, it a lot of money indeed. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name is there at... Hi Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're heading to Narrate Church. Oh goody for a just terrible Christmas sermon. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio.
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Let's do this right. Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Narrate Church, Helena, Montana. Adam Hushka, the vision casting leader, presiding. The name of the sermon series is Mother Mary, and the um, name of the sermon is Mary's Unmet Expectations. Yeah, I'm not making that up. So let's just say that it is a true to form, miserable Adam Hushka, totally missing the point of scripture type of sermon. Need I say more? So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Adam Hushka and Mary's Unmet Expectations. Here we go. Have you ever said yes to something? And then days, weeks, sometimes years later, you realize that uh, that thing that you thought you said yes to and that thing you actually said yes to are two completely different things. You, you with me? It's a little bit of a, I, I, it's, it's a little bit of a complicated question, but I, I think it sets the tone for where we're going. Like, have, can you relate to the emotion, the disappointment, the frustration, the angst of of saying yes to something and then later going, "Wait a minute, that's not at all the way this is supposed to go." Like, uh, it happens when we we, we get online and, and order a shirt from Amazon, right? Have you ever had this happen where a shirt shows up and you're like, "That's not blue." It's clearly green. And the great thing about Amazon is that you just say, like, not as described, and it costs you not a nickel, just a little bit of your time because you send it back. Or at a restaurant, ever ordered something at a restaurant? And it shows up and you're like, wait a minute. This isn't what I asked for. I I was thinking about that this week, and several years ago I went to lunch uh, downtown with with a 50-something friend who's very sarcastic and brazen and 
And we went to this restaurant, and I don't, I don't even know why I tried, because I hate chicken pot pie. I don't know those of you who like chicken pot pie. I just think it's soggy and disgusting. But the special that day uh, was chicken pot pie. And so for whatever reason, in this kind of spontaneous moment that I don't have all that often, or at least uh, not over chicken pot pie, uh, I, I was like, we both tried to order the chicken pot pie. And the waitress was like, sorry, there's only one chicken pot pie left. And I was like, sweet, great. Because I don't even know what I was thinking. He can have the chicken pot pie. And then a little bit later, of course, the meal came out. This was a sit-down kind of place. And... Uh, it it was a gravy boat, so it was like a porcelain glass, or what you know, it was a bowl. I think it was a gravy boat full of what would generally be the contents of said chicken pot pie, but there was no pie. I mean, it was just it was just this bowl of nastiness, and then and then there were two. Maybe God was trying to speak to you through the bowl of nastiness. Two bread stars floating on the surface. So you can kind of see what they're doing there, right? And, and so a little bit later, the waitress came by, and they're like, hey, so how do you like the chicken pot pie? And he goes, I wouldn't exactly call it chicken pot pie. She's like, why? And he said, because there's no pie. She's like, well, we've got those little bread star things. He says, yeah, yeah, I see what you're trying to do. It's not a chicken pot pie. You ever had that experience at a restaurant where you're like, this is not what I had in mind. I remember years ago, Teresa and I, when we were in that season where you didn't, we didn't have the luxury of going out to eat to super nice restaurants, and it must have been an anniversary or something. We went to this restaurant in Billings, and I ordered, uh, like, I'm always looking for the seafood pasta. Not the, I'm not a steak guy. I'm not a chicken press guy at the, at the restaurant. I'm like, I might as well have something I'm not going to have at home. And so I ordered the seafood pasta, and she was like, well, it comes with prawns. And I was like, what's a prawn? She said, it's a big shrimp. Sweet, I'm in. And then it showed up, and it was these nasty, like, giant shrimp, like, eyeballs, antenna, legs, the whole... And it was just, you know, that disappointing moment of, like, oh, this is not at all what I had in mind. Or have you ever had that with a person? Like, have you ever said yes to a person? And sometimes it's funny and trivial, and sometimes we're we're cutting at some of the most painful stuff in life. Ever said yes to a person? And then days, weeks, months, years later, realized, wait, wait a minute... I hired you, and quite frankly, I think your mom filled out your application. You're nothing like the person I hired. Or it can work the other way. Ever taken a job, and, and, and they wooed you, and they convinced you that there was a certain culture, and that the boss behaves a certain way, and then a few months later, you're like, what? no, you're, you're nothing like the way you presented yourself. Ever had a roommate? Ever had a mentor or been in some kind of classroom? Have you ever joined a team under the guise that this person is like this and then later you realize... What text are you preaching from again? Is there, there nothing like that? Ever been in a marriage like that? Yeah, it's just weird. It's like I, I'm listening to a sermon like that. You know, my expectation is that you're going to preach the word, proclaim Christ. It's a, you, This is supposedly a Christmas sermon, so I might learn a thing or two about how God has come to save us in Christ Jesus, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that, that, now, now we are getting into some of the pain, aren't we? In fact, some of you, uh, you your, your friends don't understand why you're divorced, but, but you do. And, and it's because the, what, what they said they were, who they said they were, uh, you had the unfortunate opportunity to experience that they're not that. And that leads to lots of pain. Some of you, it's led to your divorce. Some of you, it's leading towards one. And even if it's not leading towards one, if we're being honest, it's, it's what makes marriage awesome and yet at the same time incredibly difficult, isn't it? Because I don't care how, how thorough you are. There's just frankly no way of fully knowing a person and the way they present themselves in that kind of courting realm until you share a roof, is there? And, and, and years of time and experience and checkbooks and things like that. Uh, when, when Teresa and I were dating, in, in hindsight, we were kids. Is it a sign that you're getting old when you go to a wedding and you feel yourself being judgmental because they're so young? And then you're like, uh-oh, I think I was younger. <laughs> I've had that experience recently. Uh, but 
Uh, so when we were dating, she grew up with like a lumberjack dad and they liked to play outside and do stuff outside and, not, and me not so much. And so when we were dating, though, we went cross-country skiing and we went hiking and we did those kinds of things that I now take for granted living in Helena. But it wasn't necessarily a way of life for everyone in Billings and it wasn't my way of life. And then we got married, and it was like suddenly I didn't like that stuff anymore. In fact, on our honeymoon, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, I didn't even have a category for anxiety. But I can see now, we went on this big hike in Rocky Mountain National Forest, and I had this massive anxiety attack. I didn't know it at the time, and I didn't necessarily like fall on the ground. But there was this like very uncomfortable day, and that wasn't very much fun. And then we would try to go hiking other times, and I had these horrible experiences. And then she tried to take me skiing one time, and, and it always ended up in a fight or something. And so about a year in, we reached this point where like, I don't like to go outside. Your family's crazy. What's wrong with the TV for crying out loud? That was kind of the dynamic of our marriage. And we had what I think in, in hindsight was one of the best gifts I've ever been given. It's the number one advice I give to couples when they care to hear mine as they're headed towards marriage. And that was there was a couple who offered to have dinner with us once a month for the first two years. And again, the design of that was just this, that we don't care how hard you've worked in your type A-ness on, on, on your premarital. The reality is you're going to learn things about each other that that cause you to kind of not connect. And so we need a place to talk that through. And, and Teresa was sharing with, with Fred this, like, we don't, we don't, we don't do anything together anymore. We don't share any interests. Some of you may have had the same conversation. It's hilarious how opposites always attract. And I remember Fred looking at me, getting really firm, kind of father, fatherly style and said, Adam, I gotta be honest with you. I think being one thing while you're dating and then becoming another once you're married, like, I think that's deceptive and borderline evil. Right, yeah. Preaching totally from his life experiences. I have no idea where this thing is going. And and, and it, it it jolted me. And, and we've spent the last 17 years, 18 years, uh, working on, since that first difficult year or two, working on taking an interest in each other's lives. And so we do backpack now. But we do it for completely different reasons. Let's be clear on that. My wife likes to backpack because she likes to sleep with bears, eat eat crummy food, do all kinds of sleep on rocks. Like that's, that's why she likes to backpack. I like to backpack because I love the feeling of packing up and headed for the car. Like <laughs> it's a, the best part of backpacking is getting back to the car. In my opinion, <clears throat> she likes to ski because she likes to be cold and risk her life on high chairlifts. Yeah. So Adam Hushka, he's a, you know, middle-aged Sagittarius who likes backpacking and his wife likes brown bears. Yeah. That's, that's great. Uh huh. I like to ski because I have three boys, and I'm just a better parent if we're outside together. So we have these com- completely different values, but we've, we've learned to kind of get along in that. You, have you ever said yes? How, we can up the ante one more time. Uh, have you ever said yes to God? And then weeks, months, years later, you realize that, that he received your yes, uh, but he didn't necessarily tell you that you were saying yes to something different than you understood at the time. Maybe for some of you, this is your spiritual crisis. This is why you haven't been here for a long time. It's why she goes, but you don't, or he goes, but you don't. Because there's this thing that happens where, where our youth pastor, or when we were younger, or our kids pastor, or whatever, maybe not, we weren't younger. Maybe we started coming to church at 30, and we connected with God, and we said yes to God, and we didn't realize at the time, but we had these very clear promises laid out for us. And then as the years unfolded, we, see, we saw that like none of that stuff was occurring the way God said that it would. Ever, ever had that experience with God? See, here, here's what I, I don't know what you're talking about. I want to jump into this morning is I, I said last week that I think the Catholics have got a lot of things right. And that's not to objectify them. I have lots of friends who identify best through Catholicism. But I, I think they've got a lot of things very right about Mary. That's not to say that I'm interested in praying to her. I'm not interested in those nuanced theologies. 
But the attention and adoration they have for her as a person, I think, is well-founded. And what I've experienced in the last 10 years, quite frankly, really since experiencing this whole church plant together, is that since this church plant together has helped you embrace some concepts of false Mariology? What? That Mary has a lot to offer us as we try to reconcile, God, I said yes to this, but I got this. And I don't know how to grieve that. I don't know how to accept that. I don't know what to do with that. Mary, I think, can help us there to a very high degree. So last week we talked about her astounding yes. That is a 13-year-old girl. She has this invitation to give birth to the Messiah. That would have come with all kinds of social and physical risks to her family, to her fiancé, to just her town of Nazareth. She said yes, and we just kind of marveled at the makeup of a woman who said that. Who said, yeah. This week I want to look at, 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 at as Mary as... For me, the quintessential object lesson of what do we do when upon reflection we said yes, but what we meant and what God meant were two completely different. I'm not Mary, and I have no idea what what you are having me look at in my own life that would be on par with Mary saying yes to God or the angel Gabriel different things. So last week we left off the story uh, with Gabriel leaving wherever Gabriel came and met Mary. Remember we talked about if you were to paint it or draw it, you wouldn't even know where because we're not given the context of where this moment happened between her and Gabriel. We just know that she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. And boom, Gabriel left. Now in Luke's account, he doesn't tell us that after that she went and talked to Joseph. She doesn't, he doesn't tell us that after that she went and talked to her parents. In fact, there's a lot of silence about what did she do in those moments, minutes, maybe even hours and days immediately following this interaction. In fact, the next detail Luke gives us about Mary is that she ran off to go meet with her elder relative, Elizabeth, who was herself pregnant under some pretty miraculous circumstances. And as soon as she arrived at Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth broke out into this kind of prophetic song. And then, when Elizabeth was done... Mary broke out into her own song. You, if you were raised in a liturgical Catholic environment, you may know it as the Magnificat. And you've always wondered, like, what's this cat? Because it doesn't show up in the Bible. Who, who is this? What is this thing? It's this song. It's called the Magnificat because in Latin, which of course became the dominant language of the Western Church after that schism, in Latin, the first word in this song is Magnificat. It's actually the English word glorious. What I want to do is look at this song because I think, I think it's, it's a rendition of... Okay, when I said I'd marry you, I understood that I was getting this. And 15 years later, I'm getting this. And how do I reconcile that? Not just be bitter about it. How how do I deal with that? When I said yes to you, God, I understood this. And now I'm going, but wait a minute. I think you're still God, but I've got this. Mary, I think, is an example. Let's jump in. Uh, Verse 46, and Mary said, uh, my soul glorifies the Lord. So there's that word magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So why, why is Mary so excited? Well, let's just remember what Gabriel promised her. Go back to verse 32. In verse 32, he, that he is Jesus, he will be great. This is Gabriel promising Mary, this is what the son will do. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, let's be clear on this. What Mary understood the invitation to involve was like giving birth to the next Davidic king of Israel, the long-awaited Davidic king of Israel, who would set up a Davidic throne in Jerusalem and kick the Romans and Herod out of town, and that king would sit on a throne, and she gets to be his mom. And add to that, the promise was that that, that son would have 
a son who would have a son who would have a son who would have a son. She would be the great, 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 great grandmother of the king of Israel. That was the promise. That's, that's what she was told. And she had every reason to believe that's what was to come about. Because that's what Gabriel said to her. Man, I mean, that could not be farther from what Gabriel said. And no text actually says that Mary believed it the way you said it. Let's take a look at that text again. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It's very clear from this text, verses 32 and 33, that the angel Gabriel was not saying that Jesus would be the next king and that he would have sons who would then become kings and things like that. That's not what he's saying at all. He's literally saying of her son, he will sit on the throne of David forever. Of his his kingdom, there will be no end. Uh Uh-huh. And so what Adam Hushka is doing with this text is uh, twisting it badly and saying, well, she would have understood it this way. Well, that's weird. No text says she understood it the way he just described it. We continue. She's excited because she gets to give birth to the Davidic king of Israel in a physical kind of way. So, so why is she glorified? In a physical – birth is only a physical thing. There, There is no <laughs> – Oh, man. So already we're off the rails because he's eisegeting. He's adding stuff to the text that isn't there, and the stuff that isn't there fits his skew on this text. Fine. Well, listen to this. For he has been mindful, he being God now, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. What is going on here? Well, she, she recognizes that she has been pulled from the very bottom of culture and society. That she's a nobody from Nazareth whose parents were, were perpetual, like, miners. They were tectons. They were stonemasons. She didn't come from a high intelligentsia. She didn't come from income. She didn't come from art. She, she was just a working class daughter. And what she recognizes is God is taking her from nowhere and giving her this incredibly prominent role. His mercy, she says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. Right. Why don't you key in on that mercy part? I mean, Jesus the Savior is about to be born, and he has come to earth to bleed and to die for our sins, to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and transfer us into his kingdom, the kingdom that has no end. I mean, there's great gospel themes in here, and why do I feel like you've totally missed the whole point? From generation to generation, ever wonder if God actually notices your faithfulness? You know that feeling of like, wait a minute, my shipping would be free if I just clicked this little button and I'd be lying, but it'd be free. Does God even care if I live my life pointed towards uh, the fear of God? 
Mary has this affirming moment where she goes, God was paying attention. And those moments where I was struggling to be faithful and all my friends were doing this and I wasn't doing that, God noticed. He like plucked me out of all of civilization because he saw how deeply I cared for him. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the inmost thoughts. You did catch the part about Mary needing a savior, God, my savior, yeah. You know, in the 1980s, this song uh, was banned by the government of Guatemala from being said publicly. Why? Well, this last thing hints at it, and she gets into it from here. Watch what happens. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Who are the rulers? Scholars will say, uh, almost to a one, that there's, there's... Anybody who heard this would have thought of Herod. If you were alive with Mary, you would have thought of Caesar. You would have thought of Rome. You would have thought of all the soldiers. You would have thought of the fact that you were an occupied country. And the promise is, that's all going to come to an end because of who? Because of the son that I'm going to give birth to, not me, her. He was filled. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Again, this isn't a commentary against affluence so much as it's a commentary against people who sold out. Remember, there was a whole group of religious people in Jesus' day who had lots of money and lots of power because they agreed to stay out of Rome's way. The the most general term is the Sadducees, but there's a whole class of people. The Pharisees had their own kind of moments where they got out of Rome's way. And what she's saying is, listen, listen, listen. The benefits of the son are going to come from those who have nothing. And those who are already like, fat and happy, so to speak, it's not going to go well for them. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, according to 55 to Bridget, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Again, what's happening here? Well, what's happening is Mary's calling out Herod. Remember, Herod was the king of Israel. That was his claim. I am the king of Israel. She's going, no, you're not. You're not the real king of Israel. God is still going to stay faithful to his promises to Israel, and you're not them. So what's the point here? Well, Mary's, she's quite clear on what she said yes to. Like, okay, so if I take that, I'll be recognized as the best teacher ever, and I'll be celebrated for my intelligence, and I'll be rewarded for my income. I'll make the the cover of magazines. Like, she's doing what we do, where we say yes, but we have these unspoken expectations for where that's going to lead. Mary was told by Gabriel this is what was going to happen. For that matter, she would eventually learn that Joseph was told the same thing from Gabriel. Joseph was also told that this was going to happen. For that matter, she's meeting with Elizabeth. Pretty soon, Elizabeth's going to tell her that her husband, Zechariah, had an experience with Gabriel, who was told by God this is the way it's going to go. And if that's not confusing enough, eventually there's going to be a birth... And some shepherds are going to show up and they're going to go, hey, these angels appeared. And they told us, this kid is the king of Israel. Mary has every reason to believe this. Well, so from here, what happens within the story is kind of the typical Christmas stuff, right? It's the stuff that lawn ornaments are made of. There's a trek uh, south to Bethlehem. There's a birth under these very dire circumstances. There's stars and magi and all these things that occur. But the thing that we often blow past is the fact that there, there, were, there was actually these, these three little ceremonies that they participated in. The three ceremonies that, that devout Jews would have participated in. One happened on the eighth day after Jesus' birth. The next on the 40th or the other two. It's, it's, the, it's the circumcision where they give them a lollipop or put some sugar on their lips and then they do the unspeakable. And, and then, you guys are tough. I thought that was funny. Like, come on. Like, uh, 
And then there's the purification of the bride, or excuse me, of the mother. And then there's the consecration of the son, especially if he's the, the firstborn son. Now, Leviticus, uh, j- just to make us all uncomfortable, the background of all this is Leviticus 12. And I just, I think it's important to spend a few moments because what happens in these three ceremonies in Mary's life, I think, is right at the center of what's important to understand about her. But we skip over it in our Christmas pageants because we want to get to the big kind of festive stuff. So Leviticus 12, here's the background of these three ceremonies. The Lord said to Moses, Yeah, the... <laughs> That's not part of the Christmas story. That's part of the season of Epiphany. The yeah, if you attend a church that has a lectionary, the Epiphany season deals with those exact things. Say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will become ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. Verse three. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Lots of offensive, very uncomfortable stuff here. Let me just uh, try to spend a second here. Remember, any time we're reading the ancient text and we're making judgments about the justice of God in that text, we are making a very important strategic decision because we have two options. We compare the treatment, say in this case, of mothers to the way they're treated today. That's one option. And from that, it looks barbaric, uncivilized, horrific. Or we compare the treatment of mothers in this text to the way other cultures treated mothers in the same day. We always have to make that choice when reading about things like slavery and the treatment of people. Any of the kind of assumed injustices that go, wait a minute, how did God not just interrupt that and go, this isn't right? We have a decision to make there. And if you go with the, we're going to compare the standards then to the standards then, the Bible is compared to other cultural standards, then what scholar after scholar after scholar will point out is that on that level, the Bible was progressive. That that, that its treatment of women far surpassed most, if not all, other cultures. So, also consider this. Women were objects. Husbands owned their wives. What if part of what's happening here is going... Well, we can't necessarily count on the men to respect and give boundaries to this new mother. But if we scare the hell out of them, we can help. Literally. Like, if we make it a function of religion and say she's unclean, then that husband might not give her some space for recovery because he cares for her. But out of his own kind of twisted fear of God, perhaps he will. See how that... So I realize that we're doing some semantics things, but, but the logic of that, we have to work that out. I have no idea what you're doing, to be honest with you. This is just you kind of beating the air, hoping that something will happen in this sermon to turn it around and make it actually have a point. Nonetheless, what happens is on the eighth day, what we're told about Jesus and Mary, or Joseph and Mary, is that they took Jesus on the eighth day. He was circumcised. He was given his name. And then somewhere after the 40th day, they returned. And if you thought the first eight were offensive, watch this. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. Again, that can be incredibly offensive, and I get that. It can also be this awesome way that God protected women, even though the culture didn't necessarily. Nonetheless, what happens after 40 days, Mary and Joseph make their way to Jerusalem. Now, we're told that along the way, we don't know actually when they picked up this turtle, turtle doves, but when they got there, because they're there for the, the consecration of the firstborn Jesus and the purification of the mother, just like we read about in Leviticus 12, there's an offering that's supposed to be offered. The text says it's supposed to be a lamb. They offer two turtle doves, which is a flying turtle. 
But what they're actually told is that the text says that if you can't afford a lamb, you can provide two turtle doves, which is telling and affirming, confirming, excuse me, that that their economic social condition was what it's been portrayed as, that they could only afford turtle doves. And in fact, one uh, female biblical scholar said it this way. I love the way she said this. She said, one of the riddles with which Mary must wrestle is that of the exalted promises concerning her child and the impoverished circumstances attendant to the birth. So Mary's already kind of going, I don't know how this thing works. But she's not saying that. You're imposing it on the text. And I don't know how bad this is going to be a social disaster for me. And I don't know how long my dad's going to disown me. But eventually this baby becomes the king and my name becomes vindicated. And they walk into the temple and they offer the turtle doves. And somewhere in the timing of that lightning strikes. And a man named Simeon takes Jesus out of Mary's arms. And this, to me, is one of those stories that that I and I think many of us so easily miss about Christmas that seems to be right at the center. It's not a Christmas text. It's an epiphany text. The center of the actual story. Simeon takes Jesus out of Mary's arms, and he says this. The text says this in verse 28 of chapter 2 of Luke. Simeon took him in the arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So this man apparently has lived this last season, at least, of his life, believing that he would see the Messiah before he died. Yeah, because God told him that. That's what the text says. He goes on to say, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Again, so, so he's getting what's going on here. This ba- yeah, my eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. Yeah, that's what Simeon said. Baby is not just another baby. This is the Davidic king of Israel. Uh, The son of God, the Messiah. Yes, he is the heir of David. He is, according to the flesh, the descendant of David. And according to, well, the the divine truth, he is none other than God in human flesh. The son of God made flesh. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And there's a hint. There's a clue and glory and the glory of your people, Israel, even in this prophetic utterance, there's this warning that Jesus isn't here to play favorites and he's not here to play religion. He's not here to play social club that the Gentiles God has in mind. Why are we doing the backyard initiative on Christmas Eve? There's a sense of like, couldn't this lead to this huge budget shortfall before the year's over? Yep. Why do we scatter all the time? Why do we do that? Because God consistently has this eye towards people who are on the outside and it's not a bait and a switch. <laughs> yeah, so you'll notice the liberal theology, the emergent stuff cropping up here. If people come to know God because of the way we serve them, great. But we have to recognize that God has always... go back. So you catch what he just said. If they come to know God through the way we serve them, great. They are doing social justice work without preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You know, because God is out there, he always cares about the marginalized. Well, yeah, God cares for every human being. And the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God has not called us to go out and make a difference. He's called us to go out and make disciples, which requires us to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. If you go out and you help the marginalized and the poverty-stricken and just give them a sandwich and and a warm blanket, 
they still will go to hell upon their death. They need to be brought to penitent faith in Christ. Hear this again. Because God consistently has this eye towards people who are on the outside. And it's not a bait and a switch. If people come to know God because of the way we serve them, great. But we have to recognize that God has always... Go back and read the Exodus stories. You see that even with the plagues with with Pharaoh, God was keenly aware of the Egyptians and was trying to rescue them too in the midst of all of that. That's why we scatter. Because this God cares deeply for people who don't necessarily fly his flag. And then Simeon keeps going. Well, first of all, the, the mom and the dad, they have this like, ah, shucks, we get to give, you know, they have this very proud moment like where they're kind of hitting, oh, it's not me. I mean, he's just amazing. It's, it's not me, it's her, those kinds of things. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So they had their proud moment. And then Simeon, it says, verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So he turns to Mary. And part of what I want you to ask yourself as we read this is, why do we know that this was said? Because Mary cherished and pondered this in her heart, and Luke interviewed her for his gospel. Turns to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling of and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of, heart, of many hearts will be revealed. Now let's stop there. This isn't new information for Mary, right? Like, yeah, I know, I get that. This is bad news for Herod. This is bad news for Caesar. This is bad news for people who don't necessarily care about God. Like, there's this kind of thing that's happening, this revolution. See, what we're dealing with here is a 2.0 version of Mary, that she's not soft and gentle. Well, she might have been gentle, but she wasn't weak. She was a tenacious, revolutionary woman. Mary is a revolutionary? What? Who is excited about the fact that she's giving birth to that guy. And then listen to what Simeon says to her last. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. So, so Mary was the, one of the original social justice warriors. Yeah, I don't think so. Question, how do we know that that was said to Mary? Because Mary told it to Luke and Luke made it clear that he interviewed people for his gospel. You should read it, you know. How do we know? And could we not say that really the the most rational explanation for that is Mary didn't forget that it was said to her. Something about those words and that moment stuck with her. Like upon reflection, oh yeah, there was this thing Simeon said way back then. Could it be that this is the first moment upon reflection where Mary goes, wait a minute. I mean, I'm frustrated and I'm mad, but I was given clues. There were hints. God hinted to me that this isn't necessarily going to go the way you think. Could this be that this was the first instance where Mary became aware of the fact that her vision of what her life was going to look like and God's vision of what her life were going to look like were two completely different things? Could this be? You You sit there and keep asking, could this be, could this be, could this be? If it was that, then why doesn't the text say that? Uh-huh. It doesn't say you you're inserting this in the text and it doesn't belong there. But this is the first instance where where Mary has this moment where she goes, "Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. Simeon said this thing and I didn't understand it, but I wasn't able to forget it. And now that I'm standing at at this wedding in Canaan and I'm just convinced Jesus needs to start being the Messiah for crying out loud. Do what you're supposed to do." And she's grieving the fact that he won't turn the water into wine and she won't follow his program. Is this- she wasn't grieving that at all. She told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. This is where she starts going, but wait a minute. There was this moment where 
No, she doesn't go, but wait a minute. You're adding words to her, a dialogue that doesn't exist, an internal dialogue that that, that nowhere is revealed in Scripture. God said that this, this sword would pierce my soul. Could it be that this is the first instance where Mary begins to grieve the fact that her visions for the Messiah and his visions for the Messiah were two completely different things? Could it be? Could it be? Well, if it was, why doesn't the text say so? And see, if all that's true, this is why I say that Mary becomes one of my very favorite characters in the Bible, especially as a type A control freak. Because what Mary starts to expose is the humanness of the story. Call her what you want. Mother Mary, Saint Mary, the Blessed Mary, the Blessed Mother. I don't really care. What I love about her story is it's so unpolished. If the gospel writers were trying to create this fictionalized account of Mary, they wouldn't have had her sticking her foot in her mouth as often as she did. Um... Where does Mary stick her foot in her mouth? Just, I mean, I can only really think of the one time when Jesus, when you know, Jesus's mother and brothers are there because they think Jesus has lost his mind. The grief, the process of letting her dreams die as she takes up God's dreams, is very evident in the little bits of pieces of her story that we get. Like when, she- yeah, I've never seen it. I don't. I don't know how you think it's evident because I've never seen it. Jesus was twelve and he was at the temple, and he completely behaved outside of what she thought he was supposed to do, and they had this tense moment. There's this one moment at this wedding in Canaan, and I, where Cana, excuse me, where what I've alluded to already, where. She's like, come on, get this show on the road. And Jesus turns and looks at her and he says, woman, like, park it. Slow down. What? Your vision, my vision, they're different things. There's another moment where the guys, they come knocking at the door and they're like, hey, your mom and brothers are out there. And Jesus is like, my mom and brothers, my real mom and brothers are those who are following me. Like Mary is not a dignified, polished story of somebody who's just like, okay, and then I, I just keep kind of going with God's flow. No, she's another story of a sinner in need of a Savior. And she even confesses that her own son is his Savior, her Savior. She's this very vibrant, dimensional, real-life picture of the real grief that has to happen as, as one's own vision for one's life is loosened. Yeah, has your vision been loosened? Yeah, let's let's loosen your vision so that you can embrace the God vision thingy. That is not what this text is about. And God's is accepted. It it took her it seems to me 33 years to reconcile that what she said yes to and what she actually said yes to were different things. See, what if part of the invitation of Mary's story is that she she invites us to live within that narrative? <laughs> what does that even mean? You know, we, there's all this conversation today about resiliency and the lack of it, and especially our kids and in our culture. And I was just talking with a friend the other day. Like, I I feel bad for my, for, for for our kids because. The perception is that if you're not like peppy and happy, you're doing something wrong, right? The perception is that you can buy your way to certain levels of happiness, that if you just had the iPhone X, like you wouldn't need anything else. 
And the real story is life is filled with disappointments and you often have to adapt. And yeah, I'm preaching to myself on this one. But Mary seems to live that out, doesn't she? That in the midst of all the grief and all the turmoil and all the resentment and all the angst, we see a woman transitioning from going like, God, but you said. Even the shepherd said that you said. And her accepting like, oh yeah, but who gets to be the God of my story? Yeah, none of this makes any sense. This this is just liberal, musing, gobbledygook. Who's the boss? There's this very real grief. See, part of my hope for this weekend is that it would like spark your worship. Because I'm guessing many of you... Does your worship need sparking? If you have stories, you can look back and you can see these moments where you've had to grieve that it didn't go your way, but you have enough hindsight to go, thank you, God. I mean, you thought it was the end of the world when you lost that job. You thought it was the end of the world when that person wouldn't go to prom with you. And now you like see them at the, at the reunion. You're like, thank you, God, that you didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> right? You have the perspective. Maybe part of the Christmas season for you is getting inside of Mary's story and worshiping the fact that, that this God leads. And as you look at the next disappointment, the next moment where it's just not going the way and you're trying to figure out, is this the point where I'm supposed to be tenacious and that's the right character? Or is this the point where I'm supposed to surrender and that's the right character? That you just reflect upon past experiences of this. And some of you, I'm I'm guessing, are in it now. And on the one hand, I guess I just want to point out Mary's humanness. Go, Go read a couple of the Gospels. The snippets that we get of her would seem to indicate that God doesn't need us to put a happy face on the grief. Again, I still have no clue what on earth he's talking about. Mary's disdain at times was palpable. And it's a reminder that in the Bible, righteousness and faith, it's, it's not an intellectual concept. It's a relational concept. It's a hesed love concept. It's the belief that like God is faithful and I can't under- always understand it and I can't always articulate it. And when I try to explain it, that's why C.S. Lewis stopped doing nonfiction because he said, well, as soon as you try to like put it down in prose, it doesn't work. But when I put it into my story, that's why he started writing stories. It suddenly makes more sense. Maybe for you, it's an invitation to, to just step inside of this. You know, I, I went through this. We talked about this years ago that I, I, as a, 21-year-old, I was a part of a church plant that went from 200 people to 1,000 people in less than a year. And then I watched one of my better friends five years later go plant a church in Bozeman, and it went from 100 people to about 1,500 people in less than a year. And then we all moved to Helena, and it went from 80 people to 150 people to 180 people in two years. And there was this like, uh, Lord, not quite what we signed up for. And yet I say that, and And I can say upon reflection, wouldn't trade it for anything. In fact, I I had my sword moment. When all that was happening, I remembered Fred, my my mentor at the time. He had said, Adam, here's how I think this is going to go. I think for the first two years, people are going to wonder, you're going to wonder whether or not this was even supposed to happen. And then after two years, I think things will start rolling. And that's exactly what we've seen. And that's not to say it's all about numbers. It certainly isn't. But you have those stories from your life. Those reminders that getting your way is oftentimes a terrible strategy for connecting with God. Maybe Mary this season is an opportunity to step in and go, Okay, Lord, this isn't going to be easy. 
Right. Apparently it's all about you in some weird liberal therapeutic way. Let the grief begin. Let it begin. Let Yeah, let the grief begin. I don't know what we're grieving, but okay. It's a reminder of this question that, that we ended with. Can we go to that last question, Bridget? Uh, thanks. Uh, what, if the life that faith, what, what if the life of faith means trusting we're being led to a place we do not know on a journey we do not control? What if? What if? No proclamation here. Just what if? Some weird provocative question to help you therapeutically just kind of you know wrestle with these things. What if? And what if that's not just like a superficial kind of Saturday Night Live kind of warm and fuzzy statement? Yeah, a what if on top of a what if? What if that's the life of faith? And another what if level here. As depicted in the life of Mary. What if? Jesus, thanks. Thanks, Lord, that you... Done. Wow. Yeah, that, that was a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, I mean, you know, here you have a text where there's proclamation after proclamation. Proclamation from the angel Gabriel. Proclamation from Elizabeth. Proclamation from Mary herself. And we end up with this, well, what if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And there's no proclamation. Not about our Savior. No proclamation of the love of God, of us being saved, forgiven, uh, of Christ's kingdom. It's just, just... You know, so let's figure out how to therapeutically apply this to our lives right now in the messiness of the of the what if the you know the expectation thingy didn't quite turn out and what you signed up for and you know what you know and what if what if what if <sighs> Yeah, as we come close to Christmas when it comes time for you to go to church and to hear the word of God, listen to whether or not there's proclamation about the Unto us a child is given, for unto us a son is born, that kind of stuff. You know, and that uh, that he is our savior, come to save us. You see if you hear that as opposed to what if, what if, what if. All right, so what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.